Good morning, everyone. All right. Um, just before I get into this message, I just want to encourage you, if you are going to be part of the church this year, um, to take a moment. You'll see these um, little form things uh, right in front of your, your seat there. Uh, so just you can do it during the message if you want, but just we're trying to gather this information because we have a lot of ideas and plans and things we're going to do this year. So we really just kind of need to know who's in uh, for 2022. So just take a moment and fill that out uh, before you leave if you can. Um, cool. All right, I'm excited to uh, talk about this. So if you're, if you're brand new with us, we're kind of in this series where we're pausing from our more traditional, um, you know, preaching sermons, and we're just kind of doing talks and discussions. So I'm kind of coming up each week and uh, throwing a bunch of ideas at you guys in hopes that um, it will provoke some thought, and then we've even been breaking up into groups and, and talking a little bit. Uh, so it's been great. We're just in this season of uh, thinking, uh, rethinking, restructuring, uh, trying to figure out what are the best ways to do what we want to do uh, as a church. So today, <clears throat> we're going to look at this idea of um, how big is too big, uh, even the classic argument that Christians have, uh, big church versus small church. We're going to kind of look at you know, the size of churches and where churches meet. Are some locations that churches meet in better than other locations? It's a fun topic. It's actually kind of fiery. If you Google it and see what's out there, there's some who are just so passionate about small churches and have all the arguments. And then some, like Andy Stanley, I guess, got in trouble. He apologized for it. But he made some really strong statements about the kind of the superiority of large churches and why churches should be large. And, uh, but he kind of backtracked. He's got a lot of humility. He's a little too strong. But there's a lot of fire out there. And then there's also a lot of uh, real neutral people that will give the disclaimer right up front, like, oh, I, you know, there's a lot of um, tension out there, and so, I, you know, I don't want to get into the big versus small uh, debate, but we're going to get into it, because we just, we'll talk about anything, so that's what we're going to talk about today. So the questions I've been pondering are, where should Christians gather to practice church life? Are church buildings sacred? Uh, what is the ideal size of a church gathering? Uh, so these are a few of the questions I've been thinking about. I'm just going to read a few verses of Scripture that kind of touch on these. Acts chapter 7 says this, David found favor in the sight of God and asked to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. But then this is uh, Stephen preaching this message. Stephen says, 
Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? What is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all of these things? I love that. And it's just a reminder that, well, even in the, in the book of Revelation, right? In Revelation 21, 22, that talks about the future kingdom. Uh, there is no need for church buildings or temples because the Lord God is the temple, right? Um, I mean, the New Testament says we, as the people of God, are the dwelling place of God. We are the temple of God. So, but we love, you know, as human beings, it's a very human thing to just, you know, put a lot of uh, weight into buildings. We love our buildings. Well, 1 Peter 2, 5 says, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. We are the house. We're a holy priesthood for the purpose of offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus. Acts 2.46 says, And day by day, attending the temple together. Now, this was the temple that uh, the Jews used for uh, many years. And so the Christians, uh, when the church was birthed, they just began using the temple. Jesus, of course, taught in the temple. So they did meet in the temple uh, together, and they also broke bread in their homes, and they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Acts 5.42 says, Every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. And then you have some verses like... Um, Paul, in the end of Romans or the end of Corinthians as well, talking about uh, the churches of Asia send you greetings, Aquila and Pri I thought it was Priscilla, but my, my ESV Bible says Prissa. Uh, Together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. And we know just from church history that in those first uh, centuries, Christians mostly met in houses. But again, here's the questions. Where should Christians gather to practice church life? Are church buildings sacred? Uh, what is the ideal size of a church gathering? So when thinking of a location and size, it's important to understand the purpose and practices of the local church, which we've kind of talked about already, so I won't get too deep into that. But think about the example of, we could come up with many, but soccer. Where is the best place to play soccer? How much space is needed? Well, all over the world, soccer is played in alleys, sandy, rocky lots, um, rooftops, beaches, in gyms, in, you know, busy streets, uh, with cars coming every 60 seconds. But the best place to play soccer is on a grassy field with lots of space. We know that churches have met in houses, in caves, 
cathedrals and steepled buildings, warehouses, outdoors. Churches have met in tiny, cramped basements and in former basketball stadiums. While churches have met in all these different places, it doesn't mean that they're all conducive to the purposes and practices that the Lord intends for church life. So let's consider just for a moment the idea of a very large, when I think of large, I think of like 1,000, 500, maybe for New England it would be pretty big, but even beyond 1,000, a lot of churches are in the thousands. But think of a, just a large church and think of some of the practices of the church and can they work in a large space. How about teaching? Definitely. It's actually kind of efficient, right? Because the, the one speaker teaching can cover 2,500 people at the same time. And even like with live stream, you could even extend that net further. How about worship? Absolutely. I think some of the most amazing worship gatherings I've been in have been, you know, thousands of people. And there's something really exciting about that. And it seems like even in the, you know, in the future glory, there's going to be some huge worship gatherings. Like, I don't think we're just going to get to get to glory and we all get broken up into small groups. <laughs> you know, there's going to be some worship, you know, some celebration all together. It's going to be spectacular. Now, how about discipleship, though? Can that happen in a giant setting, you know, big warehouse space with 1,500 people? I don't think it's ideal. Yeah, I don't think discipleship really happens. Now, obviously, we are discipled through the teaching of the Word, but I'm talking about real discipleship, like one-on-one -on -one mentoring and, you know, kind of following your, uh, your mentor around, Maybe you could, a little bit, in, the, in the, the big gathering, but not so much. Fellowship, like real fellowship, what we've been talking about, that Greek word koinia, where everybody, that spiritual pot, like everybody's coming and adding something, bringing something. One brings a word, one brings a testimony, one brings a prayer. Well, with 1,500 people, two th I remember the, one of the first churches I was a part of, every once in a while, there was like probably, I don't know, 3,000 people in the church. Every once in a while, somebody would try to participate, you know, somebody in the crowd, and uh, speak something out, and they were like shut down within like 20 seconds. You'd have like security come over and just remove the individual. So yeah, there was no koinia happening in that gathering of 3,000. Now a little bit before service, after service, obviously there's a little bit, but I, that's why I said not so much. Breaking of bread? Well, as we talked about recently, the breaking of bread really is, uh, is, is not just eating, but it's also this idea of communion, you know, remembering the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus. So large churches... Uh, would do, do, you know, communion. But it's often, you know how it is. I mean, even we've done it here with the little wafers and it's like a five-minute or ten-minute thing and it's or a little bit of like an, an assembly line. So I think it kind of loses something uh, because the, the early Christians really, it was a meal. Um, and 
Not that you can't have a meal with 2,500 people. I guess you could, but it's, it's not easy to do, right? It, it becomes more like you feel like you're in a giant food court or something. I remember we went on my sabbatical. Uh, we went to a large church up in Boston, and they just happened to be having a meal that day, and it was a big church. And, you know, we're new. We don't know anybody. So actually, we knew a few people from the church. But, um, you know, so we... After service, the four of us, my two daughters and my wife, you know, kind of went out and looked at the scene, and it was just like, you know, a thousand people, and people lined up for the barbecue and everything, and we were like, I don't, this does not feel inviting at all, you know? <laughs> I mean, they kind of did it, but it's, it wasn't very relational, at least from our standpoint. It was hard to, you know, mesh into that. Where there's been other times where I've gone to smaller churches that have had potlucks after, and man, you just integrate right in so easily. So breaking of bread, sort of, you could do it in a big church. Mission, maybe if, you know, the the gathering itself is a little bit evangelistic, I suppose there could be a missional quality to it. Baptisms in a big church, absolutely. It's powerful. I mean, though you could argue maybe in a smaller setting, you have a more personal touch. You know, like I was baptized in a, in a big church. It was literally like an assembly line. You know, they put the, these robes on, and it was like um, you'd go down into the tank. You were baptized. You went up out of it. I mean, I don't know how many of us were baptized that day, like 100 of us or something. You know, it, was, it was a lot. Where in the smaller churches, you can maybe hear the testimony. Remember when Stacy was baptized, you, uh, did, you did a video, right? Wasn't it a video? Yeah, I think we did a video for each um, and every person being baptized, and we were able to show that and kind of celebrate the story. That's really personal, I think. But again, I think it, baptisms can happen in big churches and small. And I think in the bigger churches, the celebration's intense, right? To have like a thousand people go crazy when you come up out of the water. That's kind of cool. <laughs> um, so community in a large Setting, 1,000 people, eh, I would say not so much. Uh, like real community, real depth of relationships aren't really happening in that, that big setting. It's, I would say it's a little bit more like a football game. There's camaraderie, right? If you go to every single uh, Patriots game, you know, every single Red Sox game in a season, there's a certain camaraderie. You might even see some of the same faces, and you might even recognize and, like, nod to each other, like, yeah, you're at every game, too, you know? You might kind of have that. Maybe you get into a conversation with a guy sitting next to you, possibly, but it's a little bit more like a camaraderie. You're a fan. Um, so I don't think in the large, I don't think it's ideal, the large settings um, I mean, when we went to the, the church in New York, we had to work really hard to build relationships. We had to go to the prayer meetings. We had to go to the smaller things that were happening. We had to kind of find our way. We had people over to our house constantly for dinner, or we were going over other people's houses. So we had to really, it wasn't natural. You could easily just kind of get lost in a crowd of 2,000, 3,000 people. Prayer with 1,000 people. Well, if you've been to Brooklyn Tabernacle, they, they do it pretty well. There's a few thousand, I think, that, 
that do prayer meetings. That's a unique thing, but in my experience, the smaller settings where you have 20, 30 people, 40, you know, like our prayer meetings, um, wow, you know, it's everybody can participate in it. Usually when you get into the bigger settings, even this size, I don't know if we have like 80 people or something, 100, you know, if we're going to have a, it'd be hard even with this many to do a prayer meeting all together. What would end up happening is I would, or someone else would lead out in the prayer and everyone else would kind of listen and agree. I mean, right? Isn't that how, how it kind of works? So I don't think prayer uh, works great in a, in a big setting, unless you do it in a way where everybody is praying all at the same time. Again, like Brooklyn Tabernacle plays around with that, and I think they, they actually make it work. So it's not just the size of a church that has an effect on the community, but also the type of space that they meet in. Uh, I grew up attending services in a, in a cathedral um, with terrible acoustics, with pews, you know, bolted to the ground, cement floors, and it was hard to understand anything. It felt like it was always cold, even in the summer. Um, and there was little interaction, actually, in the, in the gathering. Uh, the, the priest, you know, seemed a million miles away up on the altar. And it was a beautiful building with a stained glass window. It was gorgeous. Um, but I don't think it was the best for building community. Again, it goes back to the purpose of gathering. Why do we come together as a church? I think this is where in our Western thinking sometimes we, we tend to think very individualistic, like we come to the gathering and we just kind of me and God and we just get in our little zone and, you know, the atmosphere and the transcendence and majesty of the building all enhances our individual worship experience. But if you really, that's really not very biblical. When you read uh, Corinthians 14, we come together for the purpose of edifying one another. We come together for the purpose of building each, or, each other up and encouraging each other. Amen. So it's not a, like a solo experience and we're just getting our little, little zone all by ourselves. That's really kind of missing the biblical purpose of church. All right. Even though in the West we've it's become kind of the norm. So, anyways, yeah. To to make my point, imagine if you were uh, planning a family reunion. Okay. I mean, some of you have huge families, some smaller families. Uh, actually, we're going to a family reunion. I think it's been twenty years since we've had one. We have smaller ones, but like really on my dad's side of the family, the whole extended everybody together. It's not that big, probably, I don't know, 100 people or something. But what kinds of locations would you consider for your family reunion? I mean, would, would the location even matter? Like, how about a hotel conference room? That would work. But be kind of sterile, right? I'm not, I guess it depends on the conference room. How about a warehouse? How about a building with fixed seating, like a theater? 
No, we probably wouldn't choose those things. We would probably find a home or maybe a park or some other, maybe a restaurant that's like got a nice vibe to it. I think space really matters. My daughter's an architecture major, and she, you know, she would agree with me, I'm sure. A, a space can affect how people interact with each other. There's been great studies done. Even parks. I watched this documentary a while back. It was so interesting. Like all of these different outdoor parks that were created, designed, and, and it was a study on why some of them worked and some of them didn't. It was so fascinating. Even though like great money was spent on this particular park, but like nobody hung out there. And they kind of got into the psychology of why. So space matters a lot. I like this uh, particular space. We've been in so many different spaces, by the way, if you're new. Columbus Theater, we've been in schools, we've been in 184, uh, no, this is 184, what was it? 270 Broadway, a little storefront over there. Uh, the dance hall that was upstairs in the Columbus Theater. Uh, we met where the Armory Building, Res Ave, the kind of old Hollywood video warehousey space over there. So many different uh, vibes, but we've always tried to go for comfortable. You know, I've always have that picture of living room. You know, just sort of want to a space matters. You know, it, it makes us uh, interact more easily. But I love this space because one of the reasons I love this space is that you can morph it pretty easily. You can change it. You know, like we had a little celebration for a couple in the church a few weeks ago and, you know, they, they just like changed. It looked like a small cafe music venue over here with string lights and little cafe tables and it was so uh, intimate, has a warm feeling to it. So I think, I don't know, I think a great space is something that feels homey like a house. And by the way, some church buildings actually are houses, and they, they can feel like that. But I think where, 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 where are the other places we tend to gravitate toward? Eateries, you know, cafes, um, restaurants. Restaurants put a lot of thought into their design and how, how this, for a reason. Because you go into some places, I could name names, I don't want to pick on any restaurants, but some places you go into and the food is great and the, the vibe is like, ah, it feels like a cafeteria. It just feel, it doesn't feel right. It, feels, it just feels cold or it's too noisy or echoey or something. It's just not comfortable. But we tend to like those places where we feel relaxed. I think a church should go for that. Now, in the early... Christian church recorded in scripture, you know, we see different portraits and pictures, you know, of the church, but it's hard to really get a definitive answer as to the ideal size uh, or location of a church. We just can't, you just can't pull it out of scripture. It's not there. You know, they met in the temple for a while. They met on Solomon's porch, which was a public space. Um, that seemed to be kind of a, you know, special season of prayer. But they eventually met in houses, we do know that, and this was really the most common place of worship for centuries. Now, some of the houses back then were, had huge, you know, great rooms, I think, as we call them. And so you might have had 60, 70, 80 people, maybe 100 people in, in some of the houses, maybe more even, uh, depending on, on the space. 
but they were relatively small. There is no command in Scripture that says, Thou shalt gather in a house for church gatherings. It's just not there. So we're free to use any kind of space, which is why churches have met in schools and auditoriums and bowling alleys and attics and basements under trees and bars and cafes, warehouses and karate studios and rooftops and all different kinds of places, probably over 10,000 different kinds of places. But it doesn't mean they're all ideal. It's hard, for example, to break bread in a karate studio that doesn't allow food or drink. Or it's impossible to do a baptism in a school that doesn't allow us to bring a giant tub of water onto their stage. Real fellowship, real koinia fellowship is hard in a space with theater seating that is bolted down to the cement floor. A church with 2,000 people, I think, you know, kind of packed into a warehouse, I think won't have a good elder congregation relationship. There's no way that the, I mean, when we went to that big church in New York City, I met, we met the pastor one time backstage for five minutes, and then I saw him on the street one time, and I didn't even dare go up to him. I was so terrified. Oh, there he is. Brother Wilkerson, you know, and I was like, whoa, um, the holy man of God. You know, so there, he didn't know me. He didn't recognize me. I could have, like, just walked right by him in Target. He wouldn't even have known who I was. So I, I don't think that's ideal. I think shepherds should know their sheep and know their flock. So, you know, at, at what point, I think Eugene Peterson said uh, 500 was his limit. Again, there's no science to this. It's just maybe Eugene could handle, you know, 500. Uh, I can handle about 80. <laughs> um, but it's true. It's hard to, uh, well, I'll speak more on that in a few minutes. It's hard to, for pastors to really have a handle on their people when it gets to a certain number. Well, in scripture, we see Jesus speaking to massive crowds, uh, sometimes 5,000 people, sometimes more. Uh, Paul at times spoke to large crowds. Uh, but these were, I think, special gatherings, a little bit more evangelistic. Um, the church at its conception was 120. And then for a period of time, hundreds flooded in, you know, as we know, in those first days into the prayer meetings in the temple three times a day. But that seemed to be more of a special thing, maybe a revival prayer season. Uh, but they didn't do that forever. The most common location referred to in the New Testament for local churches is house, the house, house to house. But again, it doesn't mean that just because the early Christians met in houses, that we should meet in houses. We don't have to meet in houses. We're not bound to that. And we don't want to be literal in that sense of like, okay, well, we should also... The women should wear uh, head coverings, okay, right? And we should all wear robes and sandals. And, like, we could just get too, we could get crazy, you know, trying to be too literal about things. We're just trying to get, like, kind of, what, what did they do? What was the ethos? What, were the, what was the purpose and practices? We have some guiding principles there. 
And then we're left with our common sense. What would work best in terms of uh, you know, living out church life? I also want to caution us. Obviously, you probably already know I'm kind of pushing toward smaller. But I want to caution us about holding rigid opinions. You know, God is a creative God. And he leads us differently in different times and different places. You know, I mentioned Brooklyn Tabernacle, who they have about 10,000. And that could be very much God's perfect plan for New York City, that that church be 10,000. And that is a fountain of refreshing for people, not only in all of New York, but for people all around the world. And so, I, you know, I don't want to be critical of Brooklyn Tab. I think you'll find that there are wonderful spirit-filled churches that are big and wonderful spirit-filled churches that are small. And there are some really terrible churches that are big, that are dead and, you know, no spirit life. And then there are some small churches that are downright cultish, and the spirit is not there either. So there's not, it's not like, oh, if it's small, it's going to be, the spirit comes to the small gathering. And then if it gets too big, once it hits 500, the spirit leaves. Like It's not, that's, okay. Like, just don't be rigid about that. You know, just be open. Um, But again, for us, what's best for New England? Uh, What is best for Wren? How big is too big uh, for us? What are the best kinds of spaces to gather in? Even in this particular generation in, you know, in this region of the world, at least, where you have so many young people who are skeptical of, you know, kind of the Walmart church or the institutional churches, you know, what, what, what is the best thing? Is God leading to create um, kind of alternative models that are smaller and more intimate? You know, I would, I would argue, yes, I'm feeling that. Here are some related questions that I've been pondering. Uh, what kinds of spaces have I met in or you met in for worship gatherings through the years? You know, just thinking about that. Which ones seem to work best and why? Uh, what are the pros and cons of large churches or of small churches? At one point, numerically, is a church too large to know everyone? Um, if we experienced at Wren a sudden dramatic numerical growth, what should we do? Um, Because that can happen. I mean, we had a time where we tripled in the course of just a couple months. And there was another season where we doubled in the course of, you know, two or three months, you know, from 100, not even probably 90 or something to well over 200. That happened so fast. Uh, so that happens, but what would we do? Would we get a bigger building? Would we uh, try to, you know, herd everybody into a larger <laughs> space somewhere else and try to get out of our lease? Would we, would we have multiple services? As we talked about a few weeks ago, I don't think that's really a biblical thing. I think that would be more than one church. I think the church is the assembly gathered together. Um, or would we plant churches? So those are some of the questions I'm asking too. But I'm going to take you through uh, memory lane for me a little bit. And so I'll just tell you, I'm going to answer these questions just by sharing my own stories and uh, just my own experiences through the years. So I started, I, I became a Christian outside of 
the walls, literally the walls of church. I had people who came to me. And so our first church was this train trestle that went over a body of water near Springfield College um, in Springfield, Mass. And, you know, sometimes we'd five of us, seven of us would go out there and we would pray and we would worship and we would talk about Jesus for hours. There was no set, it begins at this time, it ends at this time, and this is the liturgy. We didn't have a planned liturgy. It just kind of, we were out there and the spirit fell and it was wonderful. And we would always bring people into that. We're always bringing seekers and non-Christians to try to come in and experience it. That was kind of my first church, really. But then, you know, because that's not a real church. you got to go to a real church. So then we started going to um, this other church. Um, I'll try to refrain from names, but we'll, we'll call it Christian Fellowship Center, okay? <laughs> but uh, And this is like Western Mass anyways, but... This church was probably, I don't know, maybe a couple hundred. And we went there for months and months and months. And we were like new believers. We were young. Everyone in the church was old. We were this group of young adults, like set on fire for God, like we had been radically saved. And nobody paid any attention to us. It was so weird. Uh, The pastor didn't know us. Like, it just wasn't relational at all. And you just went in, and it was like songs and the preaching of the word, which was good. I think you know I learned some stuff, but I didn't get to know anybody in the church. A few people we, we got to know. But again, we had to work really hard. Um, again, that's, we're not blaming it on the size of 200. It's just it is what it is. We then went to, well, I don't know how many times we went to the, I don't even know if you were, I was dating my wife at the time. Uh, do you remember the church in Amherst with the cowboy pastor with the, with the boots? I don't even know if he was from the South or what, but it was, this was like, after being at this Christian fellowship thing, you know, and I thought this is how we, this is how church is, you know, it's just going to be you know, kind of boring and you don't get to know anybody. Uh, so then we went to this cowboy uh, church thing that was like in a house in Amherst and I was like this is so good it was like just everybody uh, kind of huddled into this house maybe like 15 20 of us and like everybody it was so easy to talk to everybody and we got to know the pastor and he was so interested in us and it was just like wow this feels like such a family well I think maybe because it was kind of far from where we lived we ended up going to a place that was a little closer uh, in Westfield, and this was a little teeny, ch- it was in a church building, but it was tiny. I mean, there was probably, how many people, you think, 20, 30 people in the church? Yeah, it was so small, um, but everybody got to know everybody, and like, we showed up, we're like new in the church, and we were not ignored, we were not invisible. It was like everyone in the whole church, you know, like came and, you know, connected with us. And the pastor knew us, and you know, like this is this feels like a family, and so we stayed there for a while until we got married, and then we moved to New York City to be part of this uh, ginormous church that I was mentioning, uh, thousands of people, and you know, we had to work really hard in that church. Again, the worship was awesome, the preaching of the word was amazing in this big church, uh, but relationships were harder to to forge. 
a lot of camaraderie, a lot of hugging, you know, before and after service. I mean, just hugging people. I didn't even know who they were. It was just like a joy and camaraderie. It was awesome. But it was like, okay, who do we invite to our house for dinner? You know, that took some time to figure out. When I was in Bible college, I, you know, went to so many different churches because like one summer I preached in a different church uh, once or twice a week. Uh, so I, I visited so many different churches. I remember this one church uh, that we visited that was in, I think it was actually in the south side of Providence. And I'm sure this pastor is um, with the Lord now, but his name was Brother Fisher. And I don't, Tiff, I don't know if you, I can't remember if you, do you remember? Okay. So I just remember Brother Fisher was uh, this older guy, full of wisdom, and he sat in this recliner chair. And there were like no chairs in the church. It was just like a house in his big recliner chair. And then you had like all of these, I don't think this was a Sunday morning church. I think this was like a special midweek gathering or whatever, but a bunch of students just, you know, went over to check it out. And we are all like huddled around him. 360 right around him, just like hanging on every word that came from his mouth. I'm like, it was just, it just stands out. Like it's such a powerful, intimate experience. Um, and he was like, just like a, like a grandfather just speaking to us. So beautiful. Maybe that's kind of what, remember the guy that fell out the window and Paul was speaking, maybe it was kind of like, like that. You know, it was that crowded. I, another church that, that stands out, uh, the, the pastor, well, I think the pastor was Brother Lassiter, but the real pastor in the church was Sister Lassiter. Um, she was just on fire. And she, she, uh, this is a church, I don't know, this was many, many years ago, 25 years ago, but it was in Providence. I don't know if they're still pastoring, but this church was like one of those little Pentecostal churches and probably 20, 25 people in the church. And I have never seen such a display of body ministry, of real, like, every, everybody, anybody could do anything that they wanted in this gathering. And just all of a sudden, you know, Sister Lassiter's just up there talking and just, you know, I mean, she just preaches, like, all the time, you know, and just goodness coming out of her mouth. And then this, uh, this older lady just pops up in the seventh row and just starts uh, dancing and singing, breaking out in a song. And I'm like, whoa, okay, I'm white. That doesn't happen in the white church. Like, what is good? This is out of order. What's happening right now? You know, and <laughs> it was just, it was awesome. And she popped up and Sister Lassiter was like, all right, we're going there. You know, and she just like goes right into it. It was like anyone that had an expression, the whole church would just be like, all right, this is what we're doing. We're going with this right now. Like this, such and such person is going to share stories. Such and such person is going to share scripture. And it's like the, the support, like everyone would just kind of put their focus on that individual and just got to go with it. It was beautiful. And there was so much love in that church that I just still, you know, I still remember it. Then there was Charlie Brown's church. This was my first sermon ever. Uh, literally, Charlie Brown. That's the pastor's name, Pastor Charlie Brown, in Onset Mass. And uh, this church, 
man, I felt like I'm new, right? I'm like 25 years old or something. It's the first sermon I ever preached. It was way too long. I still preach too long, but even my first sermon was long because I can talk. But it was like after I preached a sermon, like the whole entire church like came around and greeted and, and loved on, on me. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's such a beautiful memory. Well, then I was on staff at a larger church, about 400 people in North Providence Assembly. And I just want to say this church, being big, um, you'd think that it wasn't very relational, but it actually was. Uh, you know why? Because it was all about food. These Italians, you couldn't attend the church or be a member if you were not Italian. No, I'm just kidding. But it was like they could eat. Everything had food connected to it. And they had these amazing dinners at houses. What were they? Hospitality dinners, I think they called them, where you'd have, you know, the, these houses, they would always have like the big dining room, you know, where you could fit like 20 people into. I mean, they knew how to do food. And so even though the church was 400 people, um, and the senior pastor was one of those guys who had the ability to, um, Pat Manza, he, he just put you to work. Like, so even though he did a lot, um, everybody played a role. And he just had that ability to pull the giftings out of, out of every single person in the community. So he did that really well. And I think for, for a 400-person church, it really did function as a big dysfunctional family <laughs> that, that uh, we were a part of, <laughs> and Roger and Jackie were a part of. <laughs> it was awesome. Um, good times. I think of my brother, who became a Christian, and he was a part of this um, Assemblies of God church that was maybe three or 400 people, and he um, wasn't involved. He was like, you know, committed and attended every single week, but wasn't involved, just went there, was kind of nominal even uh, for a while. Then he somehow or other connected with these three other couples who were planting a church in the city of Providence. They met in the Basketball Hall of Fame for years called New Day Church. And it's still going to this day, you know, 12 years in, they're like huge now. But it transformed my brother's life. Going from this three, 400 person church where he was just sitting in the pew and there was really wasn't much to do to being immersed into a church plant. He came alive. He grew like crazy in that, in that smaller church setting that eventually did grow. Again, you know, he's the same person, but... In one, you know, kind of one uh, environment, he just kind of coasted. And then in a different environment, he flourished. Interesting. I think of a RISD Christian body, I think it was called. This is the late 90s. When I moved from, I was in Boston for a while. When I moved back, to Rhode Island, we were uh, very involved in this RISD Christian community that was about 30, maybe 30 or 40 students. And they, they weren't a church, but man, it was a church. 
They did everything together. The prayer was uh, spectacular. I always think about this one gathering that they used to have on Friday nights. There was a dinner gathering where you'd have like all the, the RISD Christians, but then you'd have like another like 30 characters from RISD who were very much not Christian at all, but they would just like come to this thing, I guess for the food, and, but all these incredible conversations would happen. They really functioned as, as a family. And so that, that just left an impression on me as well. The church I was part of in Boston, you know, I did campus ministry up there for a few years, and we were on eight different campuses, and all of the, um, all of the campus groups came together on Sundays, and for other gatherings too, but for a church that we called University Church. And that just, ah, oh, it was so good. It was about 70 or 80 people in the church. And uh, Lynn Michelson was a part of that. Uh, not John, but this was, Lynn was an MIT student at the time and when I was a campus pastor in Boston, and she was part of University Church. A little trivia there. Um, but so she remembers. But just everybody kind of knew everyone. It was very much a family, uh, very, very relational. I think it was, yeah, it was a great size. I think about, Roger Drake, remember this, the little West End, not an official church, but there were Christians, hungry, seeking, prayerful Christians who would hang out on this um, Ring Street, Mike Zarl's house. Mike never really came to the prayer meetings, but uh, Mike's nephews, Aaron, and gosh, I can't remember, who else? Ben wasn't even a Christian at that point yet. But anyways, it was like kind of a smaller, all different Christians from different churches. Sometimes it'd be like 15, maybe 20 of us at the most. And we would just come. Garrett would lead worship for, you know, it just went. There was no agenda. There was no real order of things. We would just seek God for two or three hours and man, that we really got close with, with that little community. Well, I think about Wren Church in the early days. For years, we were 30 people, uh, three years. And then we started to grow uh, to probably, you know, between 70 and 100. For many years, we were 70 to 100. Uh, but even at those stages, from from zero to a hundred, you know, I think, well, in the first years, I mean, we were a small group, you know, the Sunday gathering was small, uh, we did everything together, you know, there was nothing breaking, these guys are doing this, and these guys are doing that, we just did everything together, pretty much, and then it started to grow, and it was a little harder uh, to get to know people, but I think still, like, for from my standpoint as a pastor, I still knew everyone when the church was um, you know, 70 to 100. I, not that I knew everybody really well, but I was able to kind of, oh, there's a new person. You know, we, I'd kind of go over and meet them and, and see who they were. Uh, so it was relatively easy. When the church, as I explained a couple of weeks ago, when the church grew from oh, 70, 100 to 200, 300, even beyond 300, I personally just kind of lost control. <laughs> you know, I, just, I don't know half of the people here. People are coming and going all the time. 
it seemed like to really connect with new people, you needed very, uh, very good systems to do that. To assimilate people, you just needed systems. You know, even to greet the new people that show, you got to have greeters and systems of hospitality. And I'm just not really a systems person, you know. So I I wasn't gifted at that. My skill set wasn't, I don't really have that organize and manage a large organization kind of skill set. And most pastors don't, actually. Most pastors just like to hang out with people, and they love the word. And so they, most pastors flourish in, in the smaller settings. Um, so anyways, that's, that's kind of my story. I could keep going. There's so many other churches. But I want to bring this in for a landing and ask this question. Why are we even asking these questions, you might wonder? Why does it even matter where we meet? You know, why be concerned with getting big if, in fact, right now we're presently small? Um, and we are much smaller than we were pre-pandemic. Well, one reason, if I can just be honest, to think about these things is so that we can be ready for growth. More than once, Wren Church has swelled to 300, even 400 And it's almost as if we didn't have the infrastructure to sustain it. Like I said, I don't have that skill set really as, you know, I've thought, well, if we're going to grow to 1,000, then I really probably should step aside or, you know, be the one of the teaching pastors or something like that and let someone come in who really has that skill set to do. Do we want to do that, though? I don't know. When we started to grow toward 500, We couldn't handle it. People fell through the cracks. We failed to disciple new Christians. Most of the ministry was done by a small number of paid staff and leaders. And so I think attendees became a little bored because their giftings were not utilized. I no longer knew everyone in the community. I was preaching to people week after week, but I wasn't really pastoring them. I was preaching to people I didn't know. And I couldn't keep up. Uh, some were disappointed with me because, I don't know, I didn't, couldn't keep up or I couldn't know everybody and care for everybody. And so they left, probably, to smaller churches. Because the church was more of an event than a family, I think certain leaders in the church were living in sin and no one knew. And those of have been around for a long time, remember some of those things. Just the shock of like, oh my gosh, how did, what? How did we not know that? Um, Again, because we were big and it was a little chaotic and it just, it was more about event to event and we weren't really breaking bread and getting to know each other. That should have never happened. But I think that does happen in the larger larger settings. Now, before you think I'm being too negative, you know, I know that a lot of really good, amazing things happened through the years. But I, I have to. I'm responsible before God to think critically about these things. My point is that when we grew numerically, we couldn't handle it, all right? 
So an easy solution, I guess, would be to stay small. And I know how to do it. I'll just preach a terrible sermon. <laughs> Maybe once every two months that will cause 30% of the church to leave. Because um, that, that's happened. <laughs> Um, but that's not an option, of course. You know, we, we're called to go into all the world. We don't, we're not supposed to just stay small, us four no more. It's not God's will. That, I mean, there's probably 200,000 people within a few mile radius. Um, many of them don't know God, right? It's God's will for us to, to reach them. We want to grow numerically. Um, again, it's not about the numerics. I mean, we want to reach people. If they go to another church, that's fine. You know, we, we just want to reach people. But I think healthy churches do grow. Uh, that's just the reality. It can be a good and godly desire to want to grow numerically. We've also prayed for 20 years for a harvest of souls. And I believe the day will come when we see God move in power in the city of Providence. I believe that many will come to the Lord through us, not because of us, but through us. I believe that God has promised again and again and again if we seek him, if we stay humble, if we call out to him, if we turn from our wicked ways, you know, if we stay aligned with him and continue to pursue him with heart, mind, soul, and strength, that he will in season, in due season, his perfect time, pour out his glory. Yes. We've seen touches and tastes of that through the years, but I don't think we've seen what's coming. It is coming. I don't know when. I hope that I'm alive to see it, though it probably doesn't matter because I'll see it either from this perspective or from up there, it doesn't matter. Maybe there's a better seat from up there. But I know that our prayers do not fall to the ground. I know that we have prayed thousands and thousands and thousands of prayers to God that he would move in power in our city. He would demonstrate the Spirit's power in this city and in this generation, in our time. And I know it's just the way God works. He doesn't move immediately. I mean, read church history. There are missionaries who labored for years and saw nothing, almost nothing. And then the set time <laughs> Comes. It's almost as if God stores up all of the prayers. And then maybe we're not ready for the prayers to be released. You know, maybe there's a shaping. Maybe there's a humility that needs to be formed. Maybe there's a process. There's a breaking. There's all kinds of different reasons why God waits. But though the vision tarry, wait for it. It will certainly come to pass, right? So when that set time comes and Wren Church swells to 300 or 500 or 1,000 and people are flooding it, what are we going to do? That can happen. 
sudden dramatic growth happens. Well, obviously, we can't all fit in here. Maybe a couple hundred that we can fit in here. So we would have choices to make. Do we move to a bigger building, some warehouse or giant space somewhere? Do we have multiple services, two, three services, or do we plant? I'm going to ask these questions now. I don't know why I feel a certain urgency about it. (laughs) Maybe that's good. You know, maybe God's like, get ready, you know, (laughs) because something's going to happen. And I wouldn't be surprised, you know, with a pandemic that was so broke us and just kind of almost like reduce the churches, reduce the numbers of churches, that there could be some after fruit. There could have been things that happened in the last couple of years that we don't even understand that this could be in this next season, a time of harvest. I don't know. I'm not promising that. I'm just saying I feel a certain urgency to get ready and to think about these things. Um, Obviously, I favor planting small churches, partly because this is what the early Christians did. But small churches in small spaces seem to be best for living out the, the one another's. Small churches don't require, you know, full-time staff or clergy. Um, they don't require expensive buildings. It's affordable. Um, planting small churches would also spread the gospel to all different kinds of communities around, and I love that. Small churches keep everyone engaged, using their gifts and talents, um, Again, I think big churches, it takes a very unique, I think if we're going to, if we, if you guys want to just go big and, you know, that's going to happen, then I do need to step aside because I don't have the skill set to take a church from two, three hundred to five, seven hundred to a thousand. I can't do it. You know, it's just not my, it's not in my wheelhouse. I'm, I'll meet one-on-one with you for three hours you know, I can do that. I can preach all day. Um, I can teach. I can shepherd, you know, a hundred or so people. Um, but that's, that's all I got <laughs> right there. So it's, it's something to think about. And we're going to actually put this into practice right now in the last 10 minutes. And by the way, well, I'll come up and officially dismiss in about 10 minutes because if those of you who have kids downstairs, you need to be prompt in grabbing your kids um, in 10 minutes. But what we're going to do for the next uh, 10 minutes, we're going to put a, a few questions up on the, the slide, and you can uh, get into groups. Just unhitch the chairs if you can figure it out. Just unhitch the chairs, move them around, make a mess in this place, and get together with like three or four or five or six people. Try to get with some people that maybe you don't really know that well. Um, would be awesome, but however you want to do it, uh, go, do it. The questions will be up on the screen, I think. Perfect, yeah. The question is, what kinds of spaces have you met in for worship gatherings? Which ones seem to work best and why? What are the pros and cons of large churches, of small churches? At what point is a church too big?